Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time again for some living hope. A weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With a woman, well, we keep saying it, she's dealt with it longer than most. The host with the most knowledge, that's what I say, Roberta <laughs> Luna. Welcome back to our show here. Thank you. Thank you for having me back every week. I really appreciate it. I don't know if I know the most, but I certainly know a lot, sometimes too much and sometimes not enough. But I'm very happy to be here, so thank you. Today I have a very special guest, J.B. Hasso. Yay, I said it right. <laughs> I have problems with names. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your journey. I know this can be very emotional and even painful sometimes, but I think it's really important to put a name and a face to this disease. It's important to stress to people that we are humans. You know, we're mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, uncles, grandparents, and not just a statistic. So thank you for being here today. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm pretty excited to be here to share my story and and everything and appreciate everything you've been doing for this oh thank you before we start can you just give us a little background on who you are and what you're doing so i'm jb hasso and uh, i'm originally from long beach california i just spent the last 23 years in the military so traveling the world um sort of making it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race it's a michael jackson song <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so i came back uh, so i retired from the military uh, came back uh, so back here in Southern California and uh, super excited to be back here and then have just recently assumed the role as the affiliate chair for the Orange County affiliate of the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Yes, and thank you very much for that. I can't thank you enough. <laughs> enough. And also thank you for your service. That is greatly appreciated. So thank you. When and how did you meet Tyler? Tyler, yeah. So Tyler Nason, I first met him in 1995. And uh, we had both uh, were attending Long Beach Polytechnic High School in Long Beach, uh, California. And we were both members of the cross-country team. So I was two years uh, older than him. So I was a junior when he was an incoming freshman. And at that point, we had a smaller team. And uh, we were starting to have some really fast and successful runners. Uh, and Tyler was part of a freshman team that was coming in very strong, very, very fast, uh, very athletic with a tremendous amount of talent. Um, and then over that time, over the couple of years that I remained there at, uh, at Poly, we became really close friends over that time, uh, both running cross country and track, uh, spending a lot of personal time together outside of running, you know, cycling and going around and doing different, uh, uh, you know, things that kids do. <laughs> what was unique with Tyler's and my friendship, we had decided as runners uh, in Long Beach, there wasn't a lot of running events in Long Beach. The Long Beach Marathon had just went away, actually, so they stopped running the Long Beach Marathon. So we would actually have to travel from Long Beach down here to basically Irvine and southern Orange County to do 5K and 10K runs. So we were like, 15, I was like 15 years old, so he was probably 13. Um, we're like, you know, we had these childhood great ideas, and we decided to do this 5K, 10K run. Uh, which was pretty cool. So we teamed up together and we got a group of adult volunteers and we just went forward and, and organized the Bixby Knowles 5K, 10K run, which became Long Beach's largest running event. Uh, so our first year we had about 2,000 uh, participants and then our third year up to over 5,000 uh, with a, 
you know, operating budget from starting at 35,000 to eventually getting to 88,000. Um, so the little kids running around organizing this event, getting enough sponsors and, uh, you know, pushing forward to organize this run. Um, now it's dormant, uh, because, you know, obviously I moved on, went on to college, joined the military, you know, and Tyler went to college and, and so, yeah. So I know that we're back. Everybody keeps trying to talk to me to, to do it again, <laughs> but I don't think so. <laughs> Once was enough. Huh? That's right. <laughs> well, three times was enough. <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, I know Tyler was very active and he, he did a lot of different things, a lot of different sports. What was it? Was running his favorite or what was his favorite sport that he was involved in? Do you think? He had a lot of different things that he really enjoyed. Uh, and I think for him, obviously running was, he was very successful in running uh, but soccer, soccer, he was really big in the soccer. He loved soccer, all you know, just playing it. And, you know, he had a very busy life. Um, so, you know, in, in high school and even before that, you know, playing soccer. So soccer practices, and soccer practices, and then, you know, games on Saturdays. And then he was in Boy Scouts, you know, made Eagle Scout. So he had Boy Scouts events going on. And then got in high school, got in the cross country and was on the soccer team at Poly, you know, so again, practicing constantly <laughs> and then Saturday cross country meets and then he was in the band and played sack and, you know, do Friday night football games. So it's constantly busy and just always very busy. And, and when he went over to UC Berkeley, uh, so he, he went to Berkeley and he was, he remained athletic at that point. He was on the cross country team. Uh, at UC Berkeley, and uh, even at that point, lived with all the um, the cross country and track uh, teammates in this track house they called it. So it was like a, a frat house, basically. But uh, they described it as like a frat house, but dirtier. And so, <laughs> I think I remember reading that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> as we're hearing about that. So yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, I know he was like I said, very athletic. But you know, as a young kid or as a young teen, teen, what was he like? Was he like? jokes i mean was he pretty straight on the straight narrow you know narrow or did he waver a little bit or a little little bit about him in that area no no he didn't he would never do anything that you know would get him in trouble but he definitely was a an aggressive risk taker i would say really challenged his mind and his body and i think when we fast forward that to his diagnosis in the pancreatic cancer and, and his fight, uh, that's what he really, that's the approach he took the aggressive, that aggressive fight for it, you know, and he had a bucket list of things and he had writ, written this bucket list and I believe his, his mom and dad still have it, but he, you know, had a tremendous amount of things on this list and, um, he would just check them off as he went through. And one of the things he wanted to do, uh, on his bucket list, even as a little kid was, obviously make Eagle Scout, which he did, but he wanted to be a pilot. He wanted his private pilot's license, which he did. He went and got it, you know, skydiving, you know, you've done that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, there's a whole bunch of things as he, as a kid, he just came up with, you know, a tremendous amount of things on a bucket list that they they still have that, that list to this day, which was pretty awesome that he was accomplishing quite a bit of that. Yeah. So so he really lived his life to the fullest for you hear that a lot, right? But he definitely did. did. How did you find out? And I know go a little bit because I think the one of the unique things about Tyler is the age that he was diagnosed. Um, we met him in Advocacy Day in one year, and I was just when I first looked at him, I actually thought he was like twelve, thirteen years old. He just looked so young, and to find out that he was a survivor, he was the first survivor at that age that I had met. 
So can you just go in a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so uh, Tyler was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer July 5th, 2006. So when he was diagnosed, he was 25 years old. Uh, so he's healthy, athletic, really brilliant young man. Just graduated from UC Berkeley, made it back down to um, Southern California, uh, was working in the aerospace industry. And then, like I said, athletic, and he loved soccer. So he was out playing soccer one day, and, and he felt that he uh, tweaked his muscle playing uh, soccer. And he went up to do a header, so he hit the head or hit the ball with his head. <laughs> and then he felt uh, some hardness on the left side of his stomach. Uh, so after some scans and going through all that, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. So he, he described it in his own words. It's hard to be a 25-year-old to think you're able to do whatever you want. And it's just all taken away from him. So at that point, at 25 years old, he had to focus on surviving. So everything that you think 25-year-olds are doing, going out, having a good time, partying, surfing, you know, drinking, whatever, that was all taken away from him, you know, and... And at that point, he was engaged to his wife, well, his girlfriend at the time, Ava, and they uh, had to make a decision after that diagnosis of, well, we probably need to get married soon. So like you, when you were diagnosed 19 years ago, (laughs) the five-year survivability was only 4%. And when he was diagnosed in 2006, the survivability was still 4%. The see no gains and no increase in survivability was really hard. And I think there was a point where he asked his mom, because he began chemo right away, and he asked his mom uh, what she thought about the survivability rate. And his mom had said that she thought that he was one of the luckiest people she has ever known in in her life, and that they would go forward, and they would hope that his luck would last. And at... Basically, it was that 4%, you know, five-year survivability. Luckily, he was able to make it five and a half years before passing away. And he had a unique, as a patient, he had a unique experience in his five and a half years being alive. He really took aggressive approach. He had uh, Dr. Bill Eisenkopf was his doctor and his oncologist, and they really took an aggressive approach. And they tried different chemos that tried different things when the chemos uh, temporarily uh, limited his use of his legs. Uh, so there's portions where he had to be in a wheelchair. And then luckily they changed that chemo. Um, so he was able to utilize his legs over time again. But then get, he had kidney failure, uh, so was on dialysis. So there were just things that with the medical treatment, he really took a priority and ownership of his treatment. Uh, and he would do whatever it took to survive. And there was a point where he said he would even cut off his legs if it meant for him to be alive and to survive. But during that, his mom always treasured every day. She said every day is a gift with him. So as a survivor, he continued to do things that were normal. Dr. Eisenkopf said that, and they did it. he wrote it on a prescription note, <laughs> and all he wrote was normal. He's like, do things that are normal. So he continued working at a point when he could. He did a hike down the Grand Canyon from the South Rim down wow. to Phantom Ranch and back up as a survivor. <laughs> he earned his private pilot's license. He did skydiving. He always wanted to drive some fast, I don't know, expensive car. I can't remember the name of the car. But he did that as a survivor. He pushed forward and and went through. And Tyler's described, he said, the struggles and hard times of our lives really define our lives. It is only when you're challenged that you really rise to be more than yourself. 
and the challenge of pancreatic cancer for him. He really went after it and faced it head on because of uh, a lesion on the liver. He wasn't a, a candidate for surgery. So he just had to, you know, go off the chemo and whatever aggressive treatments that uh, Dr. Isaacoff had for him. Yeah, he was um, a great role model. I mean, like I said, he, he never let anything stop him. He did everything, but he had a really great outlook on life as well. I mean, I don't think I ever saw him down. I mean, I didn't always see him in his worst times, but when he was in the hospital or went into the wheelchair, you know, being able to walk during advocacy day and then being in a wheelchair, he just never let that stop him and let that change his perspective on anything. He was always very gung-ho and shared his story and was just, a, like I said, really, you know, I mean, he was 25 and I won't say how old I was, but he was 25 and he was still an inspiration. I looked at him and thought, wow, this young man can do this. This gives me some hope that, you know, I can continue as well. So it's just somebody that's just made a great impact on a lot of ours. And I, I know you spoke about when he was diagnosed and when I was diagnosed, it was only 4%. When my dad was diagnosed in 1998, it was only 4%. And we had learned at that time that the statistics had not changed in over 40 years. So finally, when we got to that 5%, I mean, it was 1%, but we were like throwing a party and jumping because at least we were there. And now coming up to 10%, it's just still not good enough and we need to do more, but we're, we are trudging along and we're getting there. And part of that way that we do this is through our advocacy today, which very quickly, for people who don't know, every it, now it's in June, we go, we have, haven't this year, we did it virtually, but we go in person and talk to our our members of Congress who, you know, fund these bills and help pass them and let them know what's going on and share our personal stories. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with Advocacy Day I know, and how you got involved? Because I know I don't think you intended to. So can you just give us a little bit background on that as well? Yeah. So after Tyler was diagnosed in 2006, I was actually stationed in Hawaii at the time, did a deployment over uh, overseas um, and then made it back. And then I moved to Maryland and was stationed in Maryland. So during that point, when Tyler was diagnosed, I just didn't think anything of it because I didn't know anything about uh, pancreatic cancer or really anything about the pancreas itself. I, I just assumed that he would be okay and just, uh, you know, he's young, athletic, he'd be fine, some chemo and be back at it again, you know. And um, so when I made it to Maryland, Maryland, uh, I had not really, I mean, I talked to Tyler here and there, but it wasn't like a lot. So he called me out of, out of the blue one day, and uh, this was in 2010, and he's, uh, he's like, hey, can you join me in Washington, D.C.? Um, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network's doing some lobbying in D.C. He's like, I think this is right up your alley, and you know, <laughs> uh, my, my parents and I are going out there so you can hang out with us. And I was like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Didn't know anything about it. it was uh, So I showed up D.C., and it was a very small crowd, and... As they were going through um, and introducing people, I just remember it was, I don't even know if it was 200 people, if that, but this is back in 2010 and it was a very small crowd. And um, at that point is when I heard the five-year survivability was only 4%. And the goal was to, within, by 2020, to raise or double that, which would have been 8%. But uh, as we've talked about already, uh, we've made it to 10%. So we did a little bit better. But what I learned was Advocacy Day was to drive legislation uh, or legislative, legislative support uh, for increased federal research uh, funding uh, and to help us raise the uh, survivability. And what I learned as I went through that, uh, as we talked a lot about with Tyler about my experiences in combat and then his experiences combating pancreatic cancer, we we're both in a fight against the enemy. Mm -hmm. And I think... We compared 
our fights and the challenges that we went through. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of things that go through a, a soldier or a Marine or airman or a sailor when we're, you know, in a combat zone, there's a lot of things that go through our minds, a lot of men- uh, emotional uh, feelings and before, during and after. Uh, and that's the same things that happen uh, to, you know, a cancer patient as well. There's a lot of emotional feelings, you know, before, during, and after, um, as you experience yourself and uh, not just the patient itself, but the family. And so I think as I got to see that during advocacy day and seeing the differences in, that we are making just in that one day that I went to Capitol Hill in 2010, uh, that continued to motivate me to stay in that fight you know, to help Tyler, uh, but not just help Tyler, but to help everybody else that was going through pancreatic cancer and future generations. Uh, so once Tyler passed away, I decided that, uh, this has been altogether a, a decade that I've been volunteering with the pancreatic cancer action network that I wanted to do it to continue Tyler's fight uh, against pancreatic cancer. So I've been to every advocacy day <laughs> since 2010. Luckily I was always on the East coast, but it's been phenomenal. It's uh, I've seen that grow from 2010 to maybe a couple hundred people to uh, in a, a handful of survivors uh, to you know most recently just hundreds and hundreds of people and massive conference rooms and they just can't hold us anymore. <laughs> and it's it's sad because like Pam can has to like oh well I'm sorry we don't have space you can't come you know to some people. You know, it's sad, but it, on the good hand or the good side, it's like we're super excited to see so many people and and how we turn uh, Capitol Hill purple. You know, it's pretty awesome to see. And it's amazing. It is. And it's, it can be very overwhelming to see, like you say, to see that sea of purple and to see people turn around and look and think, well, who are these people? Because, you know, it's just <laughs> when you see nothing but purple, it, it really draws your attention. And I can relate, Pat, when I first started with um, Advocacy Day, we were in one room and we all got to share our stories because there wasn't that many of us. And now, like you say, we've extended number of conference rooms and now they have to just ask a few people to share their stories. So it really has grown. And I was going to, and I, as a survivor, thank you for continuing that because I know it, it's very important. And I'm sure Tyler would been, is thrilled that you are continuing to honor his name because I think this is one of the best ways we can honor those that we've lost is by continuing to bring awareness and to make things better for those people that will be coming on, unfortunately. And I know a lot of times, you know, when we go through this, we want to run away, but you and others ran too. And can you just give a little insight? I know it's because of Tyler, but the others that you're doing it for as well, very appreciative. Right. Yeah. So I think we talk about this a lot is, this purple family is uh, something that nobody ever thought about joining or, or wanting to be a part of, but because of this horrible disease that takes 90% of people that are diagnosed, we get to be around other people and other people that are affected other patients. And I think just meeting them and getting to know them, like I've known you for over a decade now too, (laughs) um, you know, the love and, um, connectivity in the, the the sense of family or in Hawaiian, right? Ohana, you know, so, you know, going back to Lilo and Stitch, leaving, (laughs) you know, Ohana means family and family means nobody's left behind or forgotten. I think that's very key to this, this purple family. And I I think it's important for me to continue fighting for everybody else that I've gotten to meet over, over the years and become family and friends with. And it's disheartening to, when we hear about people that, you know, lose, 
their battle against pancreatic cancer is just really rough for us. It, it is, and I, I thank you very much again, like I said, and I know we're the family nobody wants to be a member of, but it's a family that I've been very grateful for. So thank you to all those who are part of that family. Um, I know we're getting kind of low on time here, but very briefly, I know there's other ways that you are staying involved. Can you just give us a little bit on what you're doing um, with the OC affiliate right now? Yeah, so I have, since uh, returning back to Southern California, I've taken on the role as the affiliate chair for the Orange County affiliate of PanCan. So pretty excited about that. And uh, obviously you're part of the the affiliate as well. (laughs) So we have uh, an amazing group of 16 core volunteers and uh, a lot more volunteers that are out there that participate and help us out uh, in, you know, and meeting our vision and our goals of, uh, you know, to create a world in where all patients with pancreatic cancer will thrive. And uh, I think it's really big um, that we have a lot of support here in Orange County. And, um, you know, we have a goal. You know, PanCan has a goal to drive the five-year survivability from 10% where it's at right now to 20% by 2030. So I think that's key. We all team up together. We go forward. Uh, We'll have some November awareness events coming up uh, that we're really excited about. Uh, So you'll be seeing those posted on our uh, social media and website and uh, Purple Stride, April 30th, uh, out here uh, tentatively out in Bolsa Chica uh, State Beach. So we're excited for that. So hopefully everybody comes out and, and supports that. Great, great. And thank you. And I want to leave a little bit of something. As I know um, on uh, Tyler's obituary, it said, live as if you'll die tomorrow. Dream as if you'll live forever. Sorry, I got that backwards. But I thought that was something really important because that is something that I know he said and I think he really believed and one other thing, I'd like to thank you very much for coming and sharing your story. And also, Tyler's wife, um, Ava, wrote something that I thought was very prominent as well. She said, hug your loved ones and pray to experience a life as rich and full as Tyler's. Tyler may have been a very young man, but I think he lived a very rich and powerful and full life. And for that, I thank him. And I do miss him, seeing him every year at Advocacy Day. But thank you for coming, JB. Thank you for being here. Thank you for serving our country. And real quick, you want to give a plug to your own podcast that you have? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, my own podcast is uh, called Life in Times with JB. So it's just uh, found wherever podcasts are found. I'm a little bit behind, but I'll catch back up and, uh, and do some more podcasts. So Well, thank you for being here. And thank you for taking on the Orange County Affiliate Chair. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you for sharing your story and for bringing Tyler back with us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. One more reason to tune in each and every time to get some living hope. It's a weekly journey here designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those affected by this disease and how they and their friends and family deal with it on a daily basis. And if you'd like to share your story, please, we're always looking for people to come forward. Just contact us here at OC Talk Radio. Or if you know anyone who needs help, like right now, maybe they just started this journey, confused, scared, don't know where to go, there's a place. Just contact Patient Services at 877-2-PANCAN. That's 877 and the number 2, P-A-N-C-A-N, for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. For the OC Talk Radio Network, this is Paul Roberts inviting you to come back each and every time and join us as we stream live from the Cove here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.